This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey everybody, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 307, recorded Monday, the 20th of February, 2017. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Hey, Jason, I'm doing something I've never done before this week. Wearing a shirt while podcasting. In addition to that. <laughs> what? <laughs> what What are you doing that you've never done before? Well, you you know, you can't see my nipples this time, which is different mm-hmm. because of the shirt. Mm-hmm. But also, I'm recording with a dog in the room. A dog? Yeah. We've, we've borrowed a dog for the weekend, and the dog is asleep on the couch over there, which I don't know if the dog's allowed to do at it's home, but it's allowed to do it here. That's like being uh, somebody's grandparents. Right. You can do all kinds of stuff and get away with stuff when you're somebody's grandparents as opposed to parents. The dog is having a vacation weekend, so it's asleep right. on the couch. And uh, I, I just hope the dog stays quiet. It didn't occur to me that I'd have to sit here recording while a dog is in the room. And, you know, if, if something happens, the dog might start barking. If the dog starts barking, just give it a steak. Well, I'll I'll get a steak out of my uh, podcast fridge right here yeah. and just throw a steak over to it. Or some, you know, raw beef or something. Why not, man? Yeah, nice T-bone. We'll shut that dog right up. All right. Well, the, the dog's asleep for now, so let's hope it stays that way. Uh, okay, so of course we are here to talk about Season 7, Episode 10 of The Walking Dead. But as I always do, I just want to remind everyone once again about our Record Your Favorite Scene contest for Season 7. And uh, I'm going to play an entry right now. This one comes from Kara and Doug in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Listen to this, Jason. I am listening. The hell you do that for? I was having fun. No, you're being a jackass. If anyone found my dad... Don't. That ain't remotely the same. Killing them is not supposed to be fun. What do you want from me, girl, huh? I want you to stop acting like you don't give a crap about anything. Like nothing we went through matters. Like, none of the people we lost meant anything to you. It's bullshit. Is that what you think? That's what I know. You don't know nothing. I know you look at me and you just see another dead girl. I'm not Michonne. I'm not Carol. I'm not Maggie. I survived, and you don't get it, because I'm not like you or them. But I made it, and you don't get to treat me like crap just because you're afraid. I ain't afraid of nothing. I remember when that little girl came out of the barn after my mom. You were like me. And now God forbid you ever let anybody get too close. Too close, huh? You know all about that. You lost two boyfriends. You can't even shed a tear. Your whole family's gone. All you can do is just go out looking for a hooch like some dumb college bitch. Screw you. You don't get it. No, you don't get it. Everyone we know is dead. You don't know that. Might as well be, because you ain't never going to see him again. Chris, you ain't never going to see Jason again. Daryl, just stop. No, the governor rolled right up to our gates. Maybe if I wouldn't have stopped looking. Maybe because I gave up, that's on me. Daryl. No, you're dead. Maybe. Maybe I could have done something. All right. Thanks, Kara and Doug from Pittsburgh. So um, two things about that, Jason. If they hadn't 
said, well, obviously Daryl is one of the characters because you hear the name at the end there. Yeah. Uh, but up until that point, could you have pinpointed which characters those are and which scene that is? I don't think I could have. That's a good question. Yeah. Honestly, neither could I at first. Um, uh, but it turns out it's from season four, episode 12, which was called Still. And that's Daryl and Beth. Yes, actually, that's uh, once they uh, identified Daryl, I was like, oh, it's Daryl and Beth. Yeah. Because they were talking about uh, her father, right? Which I assumed was Herschel. Yep. And talking about the governor rolling right up, which uh, pinpointed the time frame when yep. that happened. And the only one, the only people, only female characters that had a father were Beth and Maggie. And I don't think it was Maggie. Yeah, no, definitely. It was, it was Beth. So it was, it was the episode, it was a Daryl Beth episode primarily, or maybe exclusively. It was the one where, you know, they go through that house, she gets a new yeah. sweater and it immediately gets covered in, in gore. Uh, and then uh, they have that sort of argument outside one of the, outside one of the buildings. So um, great job, you guys. Thank you so much for sending that in. And there's the other thing I wanted to say about it is it seems to be a thing that's starting to happen where people work our names into the scene. This is not the first time this has happened. It's a good thing. <laughs> okay. Ain't uh, nothing wrong with it. <laughs> no, I, I guess you're right. It's, but it, it's definitely a thing. So uh, I don't know if we're going to see more of that coming, but I have a feeling we might. And they're absolutely right. If there was a zombie apocalypse, Chris, you ain't going to see Jason again because I'm not going to live very long. Well, you might hole up in your house and survive there for a bit. And if I can get to your house, maybe You're I'll, not I'll try to. to my house. You got your own family to deal with. You know, well, you pick up, you know, your mom and your dad and there's all kinds of places you could go and things you could do. The last thing you want to do is trek all the way out to here where <laughs> there's a nuclear power plant that is no longer manned and uh, endanger your family uh, by a, a huge nuclear explosion. Well, listen, if the power plant by your house goes up in flames, I'm pretty sure that where I am, I mean, you might die slightly before me, but not by much. At least I'll see it. You'll, you'll see I'll it happening. I'll see the fire, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, I'm like 30 kilometers from you, yeah. which isn't that far in real life, but if you have to walk, it takes a long time. It does. 50 kilometers is your safe zone, so uh, head over to, to Hamilton or something. Okay, well then, be fine. there you go. All right, thanks, uh, Karen Doug, once again, for sending that in. If you want to get an entry in, just uh, record a scene like that, any scene from any episode of The Walking Dead. Um, and we don't get too many done by more than one person, so that's really, really cool. Uh, but record the scene, email it in to us, talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. That is probably the easiest way. All right, Jason, let's get into our recap of Season 7, Episode 10. Cool. Neue beste Freunde, which is new best friends in German. Emily, what's the title of this week's episode? New best friend. <laughs> Our new best friends don't know what the hell is going on in the most wonderful way. What? Did we just become best friends? Yup. <laughs> Hello, Chris and Jason. I just wanted to let you know that you are my new best friends. Oh. M-G. Are we like new best friends? Thank you so much to Gareth in Germany, John and Emily in Deal, Kent, UK, Chris in Vancouver, Washington, USA, Matt in Delaware, Matt in Lindenwald, New Jersey, and Alia in, as she said, the middle of nowhere, Indiana. Nice. 
for all those title reads. And uh, they were all very cool, all very unique, and uh, good to hear. So, uh, you know, next week, I'll remind everyone at the end, again, to send your title reads in for next week's episode. But thanks to you guys for doing that. What was the name? What was that movie that uh, that they snuck in there? It was... Um... Uh, Step Brothers. Step Brothers. Yes, I should watch that again. That was fun. Did we just become new best friends? <laughs> yup. <laughs> and then they're in the uh, in, they're in an interview. They're basically sitting on each other's lap in a job interview. And it's like he's talking to the lady. It's like, what's your name? Pam. 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 Listen, shut up for a second. <laughs> just, like, shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. Oh, it's such a good movie. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it, that was a funny movie. I enjoyed that one myself too. I and and you know when that came in, I did I did kind of think I should watch that again. It involves drumming and sweating too. So it, yeah, and boats and hose. <laughs> okay, let's get into the episode, Jason. We have the cold open. It's a fairly lengthy one, but we start with Ezekiel and some of his kingdom people waiting to meet the um, the saviors. Yep. They're going to do one of their. Uh, their exchanges or deliveries, I guess. Pig drops, uh, I like to call them. A pig drop, sure. Uh, while they're waiting, a single walker approaches and Diana uses a bow and arrow to kill it. And that she men- and she mentions that her sister uh, had that dress. That's a really ratty, disgusting dress that her sister had. Well, I think it's not that actual dress, but that, you know, uh, that dress. You know, what I, you know I what do. I do say. know, but I, I'm just. I'm, I guess I'm questioning how she can uh, recognize it, even though it's so tattered and stained. Oh, I and, see. You know, inside of or outside of a, a rotting corpse, kind of thing. It just it seems kind of. Uh, it, it seems a little bit beyond reality where she can go. Yeah, my sister had that dress, unless the dress was that style already. It looked like a, a, a zombie costume, for example. Right. Well, no, I don't think so. But what I took away from that is because after some more stuff happens, and then at the end of their altercation with the saviors, which I'll talk about in a second, you know, she basically turns back and says, uh, yep, my sister really loved that dress. And it just sort of tells us how, I don't know, sort of complacent everyone has become in a way, or how how regular this has all become to everybody. You know, they're... Yeah. They're killing zombies, and the thing she notices about it is, oh, my sister used to have that dress. So it's kind of sad, in a way. Maybe it's her sister. Well, I I kind of actually thought for a second that's what they were saying, but I think there would be a little bit more emotion to the whole thing if it was actually her sister. But, I mean, I just took away the fact that, you know, they're killing zombies, and they don't even worry about them anymore. They're just thinking, you know, look at that. That's I recognize that dress. Right. Anyways, after she takes out that zombie, the saviors drive up. They are led by Gavin. Now, this is the same dude that we saw when, uh, or the same crew, mostly, when uh, they were exchanging their rotty pigs, right? Yeah. Right. So this guy's Gavin. They open the back of a car and they show them what they, they've brought. There's some watermelons and tanks of water, maybe, or something well, else. I think it's gasoline and there's also batteries in there. Okay, like car batteries and stuff. Car batteries, yeah. Yeah, so there's there's various things. Um, looks like mostly watermelons, though, in terms of food this week. Uh, now, Jared, he's the other guy with the long hair that doesn't really seem to get along with Richard very well, and they fought last time. They were exchanging the pigs. So this time he asks for Richard's gun, and he says that Richard should never have a gun. Of course, things get tense. They all draw their weapons, and Ezekiel orders Richard to hand over his weapon. And then Gavin tells Jared to stand down, idiot. <laughs> so 
I, I liked the, the juxtaposition here. You know, we have King Ezekiel. He's, he's giving his subject an order, but he's yep. doing it in a very kingly, regal way. Yep. The Savior says, stand down, idiot. Very different. Yeah, it's very, very different. So uh, I kind of like that. Now Richard obeys his king, but as he's handing over the gun, he makes a comment about uh, sucking on it. Because <laughs> why not? You know, if you're going to yep. hand someone a gun, why not, why not make a snarky comment like that? That's what I would do. Because what could possibly go wrong? Yeah. And Jared doesn't like this. He goes to hit him, but Morgan intervenes with his staff and knocks the gun out of Jared's hand. And of course, this just escalates everything. Jared, uh, um, Jared takes the staff and hits Morgan and Richard with it. Yeah. So they have a bit right of an ear. Yeah. It's Morgan right in the ear. That's a, that's an ouchy place to hit somebody. Actually, they're all pretty much ouchy places. I can't think of any place I'd want to get hit in particular, but you know, maybe on the back of the thigh. Uh, right in your ass. Be better. I mean, getting hit with a stick in the butt isn't, wouldn't be too bad. It depends on exactly where and what direction the stick was coming from. And what kind of stick. And what kind of stick. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, getting hit in the ear, I don't, it just doesn't strike me as a very pleasant thing to have happen. No, I don't think so. And it did look like it hurt Morgan, but uh, he hits him in the ear and Richard gets knocked down. And then, you know, Gavin gives a, a short speech about how this has got to stop. Otherwise, things might get visceral, he says. Mm. So I guess they've had their, you know, disagreements in the past and the two that we've seen aren't really the only ones. And maybe things are starting to boil over a little bit as Richard gets more and more anxious to do something about this, right? Yeah. Uh, before they leave, Morgan asks for his staff back because it's special to him. And of course, Jared's a dick and refuses and takes it with him. Well, what was Morgan thinking? Like, obviously... You know, that guy is not going to be, you know, here, sure, you can have your stick back, no problem. You hit me in the hand and probably broke my thumb, but yeah. that's okay. Here's your stick back. Do it again next time. He tried to appeal to them, to him though, you know, in a, in a way saying it was from someone special and they're dead now. And I mean, I know that's never going to work with a guy like Jared, but that's what yeah. he tried. And, you know, uh, as they leave, um, Gavin tells him to read the room. <laughs> it's like it's like what are you thinking just as you said you're not getting that that stick back so then diana makes her comment about her sister loving that dress and uh, we cut back over to the kingdom they've arrived back there and ezekiel is complimenting ben on his abilities with the staff because as we know he's been practicing a lot Mm -hmm. and Ezekiel also, though, suggests that he shouldn't seek fights. He should always think before he acts. None of this just reacting to stuff, which I think is great advice. But let's be honest, in this situation, you know, the fight had started and I think Ben was trying to intervene and trying to do something or, you know, maybe even defending himself, right? Yep. I'm not sure. Go ahead. Well, yeah, it just, uh, you don't really, I was surprised that anybody attacked uh, any of the saviors, because that just strikes me as a uh, a recipe for uh, getting in trouble quite a bit. Yeah, that's that's very true. But like, what did Morgan do? He knocked the gun out of the guy's hand when he was threatening Richard, yeah. which is a self-defense move. Like, it's not really an attack. Now, I know the saviors wouldn't see it that way. I don't think it matters whether it's a self-defense move or not. I think that uh, attacking the saviors or hitting the savior 
for any reason whatsoever would be punishable by Negan showing up and uh, shutting that shit down. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're you're probably right about that. As you said before, we gotta shut this shit down. That's right. See, I got that clip now. I can play that That's anytime good. I want. <laughs> Yay! We're gonna get like farting noises and all kinds of stuff ready for you to play clips. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Zoop. <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> No, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. I've got select clips to play, and that's one of them. All right. Uh, but but you're right. I mean, I guess I guess Ezekiel's vice here is to, no matter what happens, just hand over the stuff and do what they say. And let's not start anything, because you don't want to start anything with these people. They're hotheads, and they're going to, they wouldn't hesitate to kill us, probably. No, probably not. Um, so I guess it's good advice, but it's hard advice to take. When someone's hurting your friend, you want to do something, right? Absolutely. But I guess you got to learn. So Daryl comes up and is start, well, start speaking with Morgan. They talk about dealing with the saviors. And of course, Daryl's not happy with the whole situation. And he suggests that if Carol were around, she'd be ready to kill them all. And Morgan agrees with, with this, but he also says that's why she left. Still not telling Daryl where she is. Yeah, not really telling him anything. Uh, we cut over to Richard. He is practicing his archery skills because he says he realizes that the saviors are smart enough now to not let him have a gun. Mm-hmm. And he says this to Daryl, who has approached him, which is, you know, it's sort of interesting that he suddenly feel realizes this now. He, he seems to be saying that the saviors are starting to consider him a threat, so they won't let him keep his weapons anymore. Yeah. Um, which kind of informs what he does a little bit later, I think. Uh, anyways, Daryl comes up, and Richard hands him a crossbow and asks for his help. Well. So Mr. Daryl has a crossbow again. Yes, shiny new one. And he looks good with it, I got to admit. He, yep. he, knows, how to, he knows, knows how to pose for the camera with that crossbow. He knows how to be awesome is what he knows. He does. He does. So I don't, however, know how to be awesome. I don't know. If you were holding a crossbow? That'd make me okay. <laughs> I don't know if it would make me awesome. It'd make me, it would, it would step me up three full steps to okay. I don't think I could be quite as awesome. Maybe if I had, you know, a shirt with uh, no sleeves. And angel wings and, on the back, man. And uh, yeah, leather. I have a leather vest. I know. I do have a leather vest. I do have biker boots. Uh, I do have, uh, a black cowboy hat. I could put all that stuff on. And be ready and- for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty close. Yeah. I used, well, I used to wear that stuff, not ironically. That's absolutely. Uh, and I look, and I was awesome then. At that point I was awesome. I used to get comments on the hat all the time. What? Like good ones. Not just like, nice hat, buddy. It was like, no, I really like your hat. That's a really nice hat. So. Bus drivers, everybody. So why did you stop wearing this outfit? This get up? Uh, I'm not really sure. No. I I mean, I stopped wearing the leather vest because the band that I was in at the time uh, was no longer playing, and I used to wear the vest for the band. And And same with the biker boots, because I had the vest. I'm like, well, I got to have biker boots. And the band was called Boots and Vests. Well, it was Space Elevator was the name of the band. (laughs) But Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, that's a whole different thing. But If uh, I wore that stuff and carried a crossbow, I'd be only two steps above to, what? (laughs) Well, listen, dig up a picture of you in your band outfit and we'll post it on our secret pictures page. Sure. I'll see what I can do. I got a, yeah, I got a bunch of them. 
All right. We took we took promo shots. We we got band shots with that shit on. We got to put that up there, man. People yeah. are going to want to see that. Okay, so we're done through the cold open. We get out of the opening credits and we have a shot of the forest and it turns out Richard is has taken Daryl back to his hidden trailer, which we've seen once before. And while we see them coming in, uh, we hear Richard do, you know, a voiceover about needing something to convince Ezekiel that he has to join the fight. And uh, he says that they have to hit the saviors hard in order and, and hit them first in order to keep dozens of good people safe. Right. And what they're doing apparently in there is making Molotov cocktails. That's what right. he's been doing in well, that, his little You know, secret. that makes sense. Gasoline and a rag in a milk bottle. Good fun. Yeah, that's, that's what you do. Uh, so out on the highway now, they, Daryl and Richard come to some wrecked tractor trailers, a couple of them. And Richard is telling Daryl that the saviors regularly come down this road. And what he wants to do is attack them first by shooting at them, then blowing them up with Molotov cocktails. And he says, then shoot them some more until they're dead. Right. (laughs) So here's his plan. Here's Richard's idea. He wants to kill the group of say, the first group of saviors that come along the road and leave them there so that another group will find them. And he says he wants them to be very angry and that he's left a trail to a weapons cache he planted and to the cabin of that someone Ezekiel cares about. So, of course, he's talking about Carol. Yep. And he's telling this all to Daryl. And basically the plan is to piss off the saviors, have them be led to Carol's house, kill her, yep. which will piss Ezekiel off and incite him to enter the fight and therefore then the kingdom is on board and uh, that's how he's going to get him into this war. Right. Solid plan. Um, yeah. If, if you don't mind sacrificing Carol. Right. And obviously Daryl's not so happy about that. No, so, Daryl is like, well, I think I might know who that is. So you better tell me who it is. Yeah. And he makes Richard say her name to confirm it. And then of course refuses to do it. And Richard's saying things like, you know, she's just living there. She's dead anyways. She's just out there waiting to die. You know, it, it's, it sucks, but we can sacrifice her for the greater good to get Ezekiel on board with this plan and then, you know, save dozens or or hundreds of other people because we can't do it without him. Right. So it's too bad that Carol has to die, but it's, doesn't seem like a terrible plan, if a little crazy and heartless, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's it. Um, and, and Richard even says that he thought Daryl wouldn't care because he thinks that Daryl knows that this needs to happen. This is what we've got to do. Yeah. Um, now, the saviors, they come driving along, and of course, Daryl won't let Richard attack, even though he, he intends to. Daryl tackles him to the ground, punches him multiple times, this is enough of a delay so that the saviors drive past totally unaware and uh, they wrestle around a bit until they're pointing their weapons at each other. And Richard says they'll have another chance later anyways, because, you know, the saviors come through here a lot and uh, we're going to have to act soon. But of course, Daryl threatens that if anything happens to Carol, he is going to kill Richard, but Richard says he'll die for the kingdom. Right. Right. Um, Daryl lists off a bunch of things that could happen to Carol, not just getting, you know, attacked by saviors, but also 
getting shot, getting hit by lightning, getting, uh, I don't know, run over. You know, stubs her toe and gets infected and she dies. She gets poisoned. Uh, Aliens come down and uh, crash land their spaceship on top of her house. Doesn't matter what happens. She dies. You die. That's right. That's that's the way Daryl thinks. Um, Because I guess he just figures no matter what happens, it's going to be Richard's fault. Yeah. Pretty much. So... Yeah, so this is this is the thing. So now we've got these two guys against each other, kind of, instead of working together. And Rick's whole thing to Daryl was like, <clears throat> work with the kingdom, convince Ezekiel, make this happen. Yeah. And I think a good step to doing that would be to convince Richard. But yeah, to be fair, Richard's plan involves sacrificing one of Daryl's oldest friends in this zombie apocalypse, which would was never going to go over very well. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, commercial break. We come back and we're in a junkyard. So here we are, probably with Rick's gang again. We get some shots of some junk animals, I'm going to call them. Things made out art, of... Art, my friend. Yeah, I, I guess so. Some junk animal art. And then we get a long overhead shot of a clearing in the junkyard. And eventually, it felt long to me, eventually some doors open out of the side of one of the junk heaps um, and out come a whole bunch of people. Yep. And this is a group called the Scavengers. The Scavengers. Yes. Um, and, they were in the comic? Uh, no. Well, there was a version of them in the comic, I think, but this is very different. This is very different. And the name comes from... Uh, I, it might've been the actress who plays Jadis, the lead scavenger did an interview and said that this is the scavengers. So they all come walking out of this, this, uh, door in the side of, of the, the junk heap. And, uh, you know, in the midst of all of them is Rick and everybody who, you know, they captured at the end of last week. And some tall, some bitches. Did you notice that? Yeah. There was a couple of really tall people in that group. I noticed at least one guy, one guy who just towered over everybody else. I must admit, Jason, you know what I thought when I saw that? Because they were all pretty skinny and tall. And I'm like, well, this is a bunch of zombie extras that they're reusing as scavenger extras. (laughs) Well, I don't know. Well, yeah, probably. You're probably right. I mean, why cast an extra to be a zombie when you can cast them to be a scavenger and an extra and a zombie with not much more? money well that's the thing like you know okay you're all dirty and your clothes are all ragged we're just not going to put the makeup on you today and you're going to be a scavenger instead of a zombie yeah well whatever because they like to cast skinny people for the zombies so a couple of tall it's a couple of really tall ones you're right anyways they all come out our group is in the middle of them all and they all kind of walk around randomly for a while it seems like until they eventually surround rick and rosita and tara and aaron and everybody who's there, and... Uh, in two perfect concentric circles. I wouldn't say perfect, but yes, into two circles. But these are quirky people, Jason. I'm not sure. I think those circles were deliberate. Well, of course they were deliberate. These were... Uh, three things occurred to me when this was happening, by right. the time we got into these circles, and we had all come through. The first thing that occurred to me was, this sure looks like a Broadway play of some kind. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Like, you know, if these people were dressed as cats, it'd be perfect. 
Like it wouldn't, you wouldn't have to do anything different. Just dress them all as cats. And I think that it would be a good Broadway, you know, the start of a Broadway musical. Well, let me point something out before you say that. That is interesting because if you think about the way a whole big group of cats would come out of somewhere, they'd all just come out and walk around randomly looking at stuff and sniffing things. And that's exactly what these people did. Yeah. The second thing that occurred to me was that they were aliens because they all looked kind of weird and they talked kind of weird. And, uh, it just, it's reminded me of, uh, you've seen Galaxy Quest, yes? Yes. Awesome movie. Uh, those aliens are just a little bit odd and they talk a little funny and they, uh, they look like humans, but they just don't behave quite humanish. And these people did not behave quite humanish, which makes me think of a Broadway play because people in Broadway plays don't behave like regular humans, in my opinion. Sure. Like it's very theatrical. You have to project. There's all kinds of things. There's a, you know, uh, uh, it's like a Shakespearean actor. Shakespearean actors don't behave like human beings either because they're Shakespearean. They, they have to talk in a particular voice. They have to, well, they have to say Shakespeare's words, which just puts it, you know, anyway. Don't insult uh, Shakespeare. Yeah. The third <laughs> thing that occurred to me was this reminded me of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. And I was thinking, hmm. Oh, you come to Barter Town, you listen to Master Blaster, or you, you know, two men enter, one man leave kind of situation. It it occurred to me almost immediately. It's like, this reminds me of Thunderdome for some reason. Well, I got to say, I don't think you're the only person that had that, uh, that thought. Like immediately. Like it wasn't just like afterwards. I think the, what happens next, uh, in the grand plot just confirmed my thought. Right. Well, yes, I, you're not the only person. And not only that, um, uh, oh, I had something else and I forget. Anyways, no. Yeah. Uh, some people wrote in about that. That is a common thought about, okay. about this scene. So that's it. Well, that's because Thunderdome has, you know, permanently entered my psyche as a, you know, part of my personality. Oh, I was going to say, you've, you've talked about, you know, the Walking Dead crossing over with Mad Max before, so yeah, they're making it happen for you, my friend. Nice. I mean, when you, someday what we have to do is a, a retrospective podcast, Jason, and go back to the beginning and think, how are all the ways that you and I have influenced this show? <laughs> and, and the answer is none, of course. Of course, yeah. However, when you think about the fact that we started, you started talking about Jasper, and then, yeah. or calling Axel Jasper, and then Jasper showed up on the show in a different yeah. form. Then you named your son Jasper, which is the greatest part. Of course I did. Yes, of course. Um, if, you know, I was thinking about it, I would have named him Lou Temple Miles. That would have been excellent as well. Oh man, that would have been amazing. And then you could have taken him to a con and met Lou Temple, and they could have had a picture. And Yeah. Either way, it's still awesome. But that, and then the, the Mad Max thing, and before you know it, an actual lich is going to show up on this show. Damn right, or dinosaurs with lasers. Or friggin' I, I hope not. <laughs> That's a different uh, Robert Kirkman comic already anyways, so. Right. Anyways, oh, yeah. right. let's uh, get back on track here. So they all come out. Basically, they've, the, the, the scavengers have led our group into their lairs, what they've done here. They've brought them in. Jadis, whose name we don't know at this point, but we find out later. And just for ease of discussion, I'm going to start calling her Jadis now. She asks if one of them is the leader. And of course, Rick introduces himself and Jadis asks if they want to buy their lives back because she says, we own you now. But Rick wants to see Gabriel first 
And, uh, you know, Jada says that they took the boat things along with everything else, which means, you know, st the stuff from your pantry and including Gabriel himself. So yeah. there never seemed to be any doubt that Gabriel was here in Rick's mind uh, or that these people were the ones that took him. Rick just shows up and says, you have one of our people. Whereas I was sort of thinking, how does he know for sure that these are the people that have Gabriel? Well, I don't know how I he think, knows. He just, you know, the plot told him. Yeah, well, that's kind he of what it was. He read the script. Yeah, uh, I think that's sort of what it was. I mean, I guess it's not a, a, a great leap on for, for him to figure it out, but at the same time, I kind of thought, he doesn't know for sure. They were just searching for him, following a trail, and they came across this group, so. Maybe somebody told him while they were walking. It's like, yeah, we took your priest. We got your guy, him. yeah. Yeah, but maybe. not in that, you know good English. Right. <laughs> well, um, Rick of course tells them about the saviors. He gives the, them his join us in fighting them speech. And, uh, Jadis immediately says no. And they go to take father Gabe away. A scuffle ensues. Tara, Rosita, Michonne, they're punching down some of the people. And, uh, in the commotion, father Gabe grabs a knife and puts it to one of, one of the scavengers neck, scavengers's neck. And says to let them go or he'll kill her. And at this point, Rick has also kind of calmed everything down a little bit. And Father Gabe gets a nice big long speech here and, you know, talks about how many resources the saviors have. And that, you know, if you join our fight, you can have some of that stuff. You can have pretty much everything you would ever need. And Jadis waves her people off. Gabe drops the knife. Things become a little bit more civil again. And uh, basically, they start start the first steps towards coming to an agreement here. Yeah, that's how I used to make friends in high school. Hold get a knife. A fight. <laughs> Not a knife fight, but I'd get into a fight with some people, and then we'd eventually be friends. Uh, okay, friends. yeah. Beat someone up, and then you have to respect no, them, right? I was getting beat up. Uh, I never beat anybody up. I never started the fight. I'm not a fighter. Uh, that's why I would die in the zombie apocalypse. Uh, no, I just somehow would get into a fight. Yeah. Okay. And then you'd end up being friends with them. That's right. Great. Well, the the thing here is that Jadis wants something now and she doesn't want to wait and have to, you know, get involved in this fight and then take things at the end. She needs something now basically as a promise or a uh, early, you know, payment or for her services. And Gabe asks what, but you know, they decide to take Rick, Rick up to the top of a nearby junk pile. Uh, they call the up, up, which everybody and everybody else watches from down below. Yeah. So up on top, um, Jadis and Rick are, are talking briefly and she says that they take things. They don't, you know, they don't, bother with anything they just take what they want but she says that things are growing harder and that things seem to be you know the world seems to be changing again and she needs to know that if rick is real and and worth it kind of to to get involved with him and then she pushes him off the junk pile down into an enclosed pit yes much like luke skywalker in uh return of the jedi when he Spoiler is, alert. When he is thrown down into the Rancor pit. That's right. 
That is the first thing I thought of when this happened. <laughs> really? That was, uh, this just reminded me of Thunderdome. That confirmed my Thunderdome suspicion. And yep. then it's like, oh, it's just like Luke Skywalker. If only he had a bone. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, he got, Rick got pushed down into there, sort of lands, gets up. And then, of course, we are very quickly introduced to this armored, spike-filled zombie monster type thing. And I'm like, oh, Rick was just pushed into the Rancor pit. He has to fight this thing off and prove himself. And he's going to be able to do that. That was uh, the best zombie weapon I've ever seen. Well, I want to talk about that for a second, but let's just finish off the scene. So Rick is attacked by this thing. <clears throat> he ends up, of course, fighting it by knocking down some of the walls of junk that's surrounding him and toppling the garbage on top of this, this thing. Yep. But, you know, in the process, he ends up cutting his hand and his leg pretty badly. In fact, piercing a spike right through his palm, which is pretty rough. Ouchie, ouchie. Yeah, he's, he's, he's hurt worse than Luke Skywalker was in the Rancor pit, that's for sure. Uh, and ultimately, the thing gets knocked down and sort of covered in garbage. Rick grabs some glass and he cuts its head off and uh, um, yells up to Jadis that, uh, you know, he, she, he needs to know what they want now that he's passed her test. So, okay. So this, 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 uh, zombie weapon monster thing, what do you, what did you think about it? But it sounds like you liked it. I did like it. I thought it was awesome. I'm like, what are you, what are you going to do to up the, uh, up the stakes with a zombie? Cover it in spikes and armor. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought it was a great scene and I really enjoyed it. The only criticism I had is that that walker didn't feel like it used to be a human to me. And, and to me, it felt more like, like some sort of alien creature, right? A helmet. It had a helmet on. It had a with no eyes with no eyes. It had like this toothy mouth and it had all the spikes in it. And I've decided that I like my zombies to remind me that they were once human. And this one didn't. This one just felt like a monster that had been created in a lab or, you know, an alien that had dropped down to Earth or something. And it had nothing to do. And it was just not a former human. And I, and that kind of took me out of it a little bit. I sort of I sort of like the zombies to be ex-humans. It's one of the things that I think works about them, right? It makes them scarier. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's... I was okay with that. I mean, I'm, I don't think I'm looking for my zombies to be more humanish. I think, uh, you know, rotting, walking around pieces of flesh is fine with me. Yeah. And if you stick a bunch of spikes in it and an armored helmet with no eyes, uh, with spikes on it, you know, that's fine. I, th I know what I want to be for Halloween. Well, sure. Uh, it's, it would make a hell of a Halloween costume, but all, all I'm saying is the thing about that I like about zombies, and I, I totally get that not everyone feels this way, but... For me, one of the things that makes zombies so fascinating is that they are monster or zombified versions of people, often people you used to know, you used to love, your friends, your family, whatever. And it makes it that much more difficult to escape them and kill them. And it doesn't have to necessarily be someone that you knew before they became a zombie, but I at least like the concept that they used to be people and now they're these monsters that are attacking you. And this zombie just didn't feel like a former person to me. Right. And so it, it was scary and it was awesome. And, you know, I, 
I, I was worried for Rick a little bit being locked in there with this thing, but it didn't have that one element that, that I really like about, about zombies. So I, and I couldn't stop thinking about that, but other than so that, how, it was awesome. Well, how do you feel about Master Blaster? Is he, uh, Master Blaster too much of a, uh, uh, you know, they were used to be human where they were human, but, uh, were they too much of a, a departure from, it's from beyond Thunderdome. Yeah, I I don't know. I search Master Blaster and I get Stevie Wonder, Master Blaster jamming. <laughs> no, Master Blaster Beyond Thunderdome. It's two guys. Okay. It's the the big uh, the big meaty guy and then the uh, the smaller guy that's on his back. That's the smart the brains of the operation. There is a possibility, Jason, that I have never seen the movie. I feel like I have, but I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I'm trying really hard not to quit the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Jason's about to rage quit. <laughs> I'm about to rage quit you. But you're lucky I don't know how to quit you. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, and uh, I'll do my best to watch it as soon as I can. All right, you better. All right. Um, so it's I don't have an answer. It's the worst Mad Max movie. So that's the one I should start with? I, I can't. No, <laughs> you I've seen- watch them all. I've seen there's other like, ones. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch. You got to watch them all. All right. Is the best one the one that came out last year? Uh, yeah, Fury Road. Yeah, absolutely. Because that was amazing. That was amazing. I'm uh, I haven't seen it since we saw it in the theater, and uh, I'm saving it for a special occasion. I watched it once since then. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah I'm looking forward to watching it again. Oh, maybe twice because I think I watched it at home and on a plane. But I I don't count that because watching movies on a plane is a terrible experience. No, it's like watching a movie in uh, the waiting room of a doctor's office. <laughs> yeah, that is not great. So That's just not a good conducive place to watch a movie and relax. No. Okay, well, now that that bit of unpleasantness is behind us, um, back to the episode. So Jadis lowers some rope down, and Rick climbs out with a great amount of difficulty. Well, yeah, he's got a spike through his, his hand, and his leg is all cut up. Yeah. He needs an elevator nobody, or at least an escalator. Nobody helps him. It's just like, here's a rope, get yourself up and we'll talk. Um, I guess that's just the way they do things though. And Jadis tells him that they want guns. Lots of guns. Seems fair. I guess so. And she says, and then we fight your fight. So to, to get on board with Rick, she wants guns. Very convenient. So Where do we know that has guns? Extremely convenient, except Rick has no guns at this point, and he doesn't know where to get them, so... Well, he's... once he kills all the uh, all the saviors, he'll have lots of guns, and he can bring them back and say, okay, we're ready for you to help us fight the saviors. Yep, I think you've got the cart before the horse there, in, in a way. <laughs> yeah, probably. You know, so anyways, uh, Rick negotiates with the scavengers about giving them a third of what they take from the saviors, and... Rick will take back half of what they stole from their pantry in Alexandria. It goes back and forth a few times with half a third, half a third, but ultimately that's what they come to. Yeah. So uh, Jadis explains that they had been waiting a long time for somebody to get the supplies from that boat. And this is kind of giving Rick some insight into the way this group of scavengers operates, right? They don't do anything. They wait for things to happen and then just take what they want. So they'd been they'd been watching that boat for some time, waiting for someone to do the hard work, and then they would just take it from, from them. Right. 
interesting way to do things. Uh, and she, you know, she reiterates that they take, they don't bother. They don't bother with anything. They just take what they want. Yeah. They just, you know, whatever's available, we take it, you know, we're not going to fight people for it or, you know, go out of our way to get it. If it's available, we'll take it. Yeah. I mean, or barely available, like having things locked up inside Alexandria while someone is on watch isn't exactly like readily available, but I guess it's sure easier it is, than... unless you, you know, if your defenses are in such a sorry state that we could go in there and kidnap a priest, then uh, that's pretty much, you know, you should have had a better lock. Yeah, I guess so. Um, later on in the episode, Gabriel explains kind of what happened, and it's a bit of a bit of a ridiculous explanation, but we'll get to that in a minute. Before Rick and Jadis finish talking here, she explains that the monster's name was Winslow. Of course it was. Of course, because why not name your name your rancor? <laughs> well, yeah, even the rancor had a had a guy that mourned over over the loss of him, right? He was super sad. I felt for that guy. Yeah, you know, he raised that rancor rancor from a pup or a kitten or whatever it is. Whatever a baby uh, rancor is called. Baby rancors must be so cute. <laughs> when they're born, they're just these little fuzzy things, and then fuzzy little rancors. That's right. Like, as, as they <laughs> little little arms, and as they grow up, all the hair falls out, and they grow giant fangs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good, Good times. times. I do want to talk about uh, the. Uh, there was one shot of the garbage pit in the background uh, while Rick was uh, while they're, uh, negotiating. So mm -hmm. the, we had a couple of shots of, uh, you know, one, he was on the top of that pile of showing their entire uh, scavenger place. And I just wanted to talk about that. Junkyard or dump Junkyard, or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. So first of all, it was a very, 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 very well-organized junkyard. And it was, from what I can tell, it probably was designed as a maze to screw anybody up that wants to come and attack them. Right? So they've groomed this thing to make the walls almost impossible to climb for zombies or people uh, so that uh, in order to get to where they actually live in this, this garbage junkyard pile, that they'd have to go through the maze uh, and find their way through all these little traps. Maybe there's more Winslows kicking around somewhere in there. Um, but a couple of the things that I noticed in the background. There was uh, a whole array of solar panels. Oh, I didn't see uh, any. I didn't see any solar panels. So they have power in theory. They have power uh, and a helipad, nicely cleaned off helipad. What? I'm telling you, uh, there's a there's a helipad in. I'm looking at it right now. In while I'm watching this, uh, there's a helipad. What kind of? Okay, so you have to think that this was an existing landfill site or garbage dump site not really landfill because none of it seems too organic it's all like inorganic like garbage, yeah it's, it's right? metal it's a yeah it's a metal depot of some kind a huge one we used to have one in the Sioux that was nowhere near as big as this but there was like huge heaps of like scrap metal and stuff I yeah thought it was the best thing in the world and then they cleared the whole thing off and put up a casino <laughs> which to other people was the best thing in the world, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and I noticed like a bunch of trucks in there, like all sort of grouped yeah. together and things like that. But what the hell would there be a helipad for in this kind of huge waste disposal place? Right. Like you're not bringing garbage in by helicopter. Well, that would be a, an incredible waste of a helicopter. You'd think so. As a I garbage truck? Yes. In my opinion. 
Yeah, but, but I mean, then again, there are helicopters that can lift some pretty heavy things. So I guess absolutely, I guess you could bring like one like big stuff in by helicopter. But I don't know. It seems like a strange thing to have in there, and I wouldn't think that the scavengers have built a helipad. So weird. Hey, I know. I think they built this junkyard because you know when they walked in, they walked in through the. Uh, uh, through a shipping container that was covered in junk so that the front door and the back door were left exposed. Right. right? So uh, that that kind of thing doesn't really happen in a junkyard where you, you strategically place a shipping container with when you open all the doors, uh, they make a convenient way to go from the outside into this uh, courtyard that they've seemed to have found. Right. So I, I think that this whole thing is contrived and built by the scavengers. And in the shot that, uh, in the background where there's, uh, you can see solar panels and a helipad, there's a lot more shipping containers that are covered in junk that are ways through this, what I assume is a maze of some kind. That's cool. I'm going to have to go back and study the, the wide shots we got of this again, because it sounds really fascinating, actually. It sounds like a really cool location that I kind of hope they do more with. Yeah. You know? Well, I don't know if that's a fly flying through or a flying saucer that's going in the background. It's probably a fly of some kind. It's a junkyard after all. Yeah. There was just this thing buzzing past Rick's head and from, uh, you know, playing with perspective since we can't see an actual 3D on a, you know, flat screen. Mm -hmm. uh, It looks like there's either a fly flying right towards Rick's head or a UFO flying in the background. Okay. Well, I'll check that out too. But cool location. I I hope, you know, there's more, they do more with this because... uh, I didn't even notice all these things. It sounds like there's all kinds of little Easter eggs built into there. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, the, uh, so what happens now? Where are we? Oh, this is when Rick asks her name as she's walking away and we find out she's Jadis. So even though we've known that all along in terms of this recap, this is when Rick finds out the rest of the scavengers start dropping their stuff, like all of their gear, like Michonne's katana and so on. And they start to leave and Rick comes out and tells the others they have a deal. And he looks happy. He looks like he's smiling again. My hand is covered in blood and I can't walk, but yippee! Oh, he's, he is walking <laughs> funny, eh? He's got the most funny looking limp, I gotta yeah. say, you know? Uh, we go to commercial and when we come back, we're in Carol's house. And she comes outside and she finds Ezekiel and a few of his people there. They chat for a minute. And then Jerry, who is Ezekiel's like right-hand man, sort of, offers her some cobbler. Peach cobbler. It's good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, they leave. Carol goes back in to sit down to read a book, but then there's a knock at her door and she goes to open it and dun, da, 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 it's Daryl. Yay. He has found her. And of course, he is allowed to come inside after a big hug and some tears are shed, which is nice. Um, we go back to the junkyard. They are still packing up to leave. Father Gabe explains that, no, so here's where he explains that, you know, what happened back at Alexandria. He says that he heard something inside the wall while he was on watch. Yeah. He investigated and got jumped. And, uh, you know, he's sort of sorry for this, but Rick commends him for ultimately getting the gang here to meet up with the scavengers. So Gabe's story. It's basically what I thought in that he got jumped inside the wall or inside the pantry and he was, you know, not acting of his own uh, volition. But the whole hearing something inside the wall and him going to investigate. Yeah. I didn't get that at all from last week's episode. No. And, uh, well, two things. One, 
uh, well, actually three. One is I may not believe him because that doesn't sound like what happened last week uh, at all. Like I didn't get that from any of it. Well, uh, getting two, jumped in the pantry does. Like that crash in the pantry, I, I don't think was him just tripping over a box and falling into the shelf. Like he got attacked in there. Yeah. But what he was doing there doesn't seem to match up with this story. It seems like he was just hanging out on the wall and then he left. So that's the third thing is that, uh, was there a second thing? Probably. Okay. There's, (laughs) (laughs) I I might come around to it if I can remember it. Uh, he's the worst at, Father Gabriel's the absolute worst at everything he's ever done in his whole life. That's it. Like he's a horrible priest. Uh, he was horrible. He was a horrible, uh, head of a, of a parish. Because what did he do when his parish was in need? He locked them out and stole all their food and hid like a bitch in the in the basement of the church. <laughs> Not a nice guy. Not a nice guy. Uh, he is guarding Alexandria and he hears a noise. What does he do? He does two things. He does not raise the alarm, which is probably what he should have done. And he leaves his post mm-hmm. to go investigate, kicking off this whole friggin' bullshit. By himself. In the, By himself. In the dark, yeah. He's the worst. He's the worst at everything. Yeah. Anything, everything he tries, he fails miserably at, and everybody's like, yeah, you're doing a good job. It's like, but you, he was, that's the worst thing a century could possibly do. Your whole job. You're, that's yeah, The whole thing is to stand your post and raise the alarm if you see anything suspicious. Well, I mean, he successfully looked after Judith at one point, I think. Okay, the baby didn't die. Good work. <laughs> nice job there, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you're you're right. I see your point. He's he's has not been very successful in much that he's done. Uh, but the fact is, his story doesn't seem to line up with what we saw last week. I don't think that that's going to be a thing. I think it's just that they wanted to hide his actions a little bit from us last week, so they didn't give us quite enough information in the episode to put two and two together. But, but you know, is, whatever. It's not great, but not great. But I, I, I think that's the second thing. The, 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 the second thing is I agree with you that his story does not match up to what happened. Yeah. I think the, the first thing was he, he may be lying. Like maybe he's lying about the whole thing. He's now telling a story about being, uh, you know, waylaid in and forced to do all this stuff. Yeah. Cause you know, he's a bad priest. So maybe he lies. He's just bad at a lot of stuff. So, um, but Gabe says that the fact that Rick came looking for him has renewed his faith. So he is, he's reinvigorated in helping this group now. And, you know, he knows this is what he wants to do. And he says, things are going to get very hard from here on, but this is the right thing to do. Right. That's, that's ultimately what, you know, he's gotten out of this whole experience. So he also asks Rick why Rick was so confident when he got there and, you know, gave him, gave that big smile. And, uh, I don't know, he, Rick, uh, did, does Rick have an answer for that? If he did, I don't recall it. I think it was that, I think it was that he felt like someone had, you know, oh yes, he did. He said, someone has shown me that enemies can become friends, referring right. to Father Gabriel being a bad person, but now being a good person and a good friend, which you've just kind of shot down. (laughs) Yeah. He's, yeah, he's a bad friend. He's a bad priest. He's a bad sentry. He's just a bad at everything. He's bad at everything. All right. Well, 
we go over to Rosita. She wants to stay out looking for guns instead of going back to Alexandria. And Tara and Aaron completely disagree. And she says, Rosita says, fine, I'll go out on my own then. She's just not listening to anybody anymore. Yeah. Um, Rick says that he doesn't know where they're going to find these guns. And of course, he says this to Tara <laughs> and he says, you've been out pretty far. At least you can tell us where not to look. That's true. Right? Don't look anywhere except for this, you know, this 30 feet between this, that spot and this spot. So look, uh, look everywhere. Don't look everywhere except for, yeah, right there. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. It's, she of course does not spill the beans on Oceanside yet, but you got to think eventually she's going to, because she... I bet you they're going to have trouble finding any guns. The deal is going to come this close to falling through. And then Tara's going to go, oh, oh, wait, wait. I know. I know what we can do because she'll, she'll have to. Otherwise, the whole thing's going to fall apart. Yeah. Right? So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I don't know. Um, before they leave, Rick grabs the garbage cat art that we saw at the beginning for Michonne because she had a cat before she lost it and uh, they head out. So Rick's feeling pretty good about himself at this point. I would think so. Seems to be anyways. After a commercial break, we come back, we're back at Carol's house. It is nighttime. And uh, you know, she's explaining to Daryl that she didn't want anyone to get hurt and she didn't want to hurt anybody. Um, and, but if the savior's, did start hurting people, she would have to respond. So she decided to just remove herself from the situation and hope, hope the problem went away. Uh, but she asks him if the saviors came and, you know, is everybody okay back home? She said, and she's saying all this through tears, of course, because she assumes something bad has happened, but Daryl tells her that everybody is okay. Everybody's fine. Thanks for asking. He doesn't say anything about Abe or Glenn or anybody else. He just says, yeah, we're all good here. How have you been? <laughs> sort <laughs> of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, of course, he, he pauses before he says this, but uh, that's what he does. So he even says to her, we got them all and then made a deal. So he sort of expands the lie a little bit there. The deal part is right, but I don't think getting them all <laughs> is, right. uh, is true in any way. Anyways, this makes Carol a little bit happier. So they sit down to eat together and, uh, Daryl asks if she thinks Ezekiel is okay. And she says, yes, he seems to be. So this is Daryl, you know, just getting her opinion on Ezekiel, if he can trust him or work with him. And then Daryl leaves for the night, uh, of course, after another big hug and he tells Carol to watch out for herself. I was kind of surprised that he didn't stay there for the night. You know, not, not in that, not in any sort of, you know, uh, they're going to sleep together way, but just that he's there. Why not spend the night there? Why go out in the dark and traipse back to the kingdom? Why not stay there where it's safe? Uh, I'm surprised she doesn't live there now. Actually true. <laughs> it's like, why don't you just move in with me? I mean, you're going to be happier here. You can come yeah. and go as you please. So, uh, but you're right now. Nah, I don't know. I don't know why, but he leaves, goes out into the night and that's it. Uh, he goes straight back over to the kingdom and he goes to see Shiva who lives in a cage. It seems overnight and he's sitting outside the cage. Um, and Morgan comes in and says the Ezekiel would be impressed because Daryl is very good with the tiger. Well, yeah, the tiger's not, I guess it's not a trained tiger. 
I guess he's not. Well, not trained to attack. It's not an attack tiger. It's more of a you know tiger that just kind of hangs around, is meant to be friendly, and uh, not hurt anybody. Is there such a thing as an attack tiger? I know. Uh, I know wild tigers might attack you, but there's no nobody trains a tiger to eat people, do they? I'm sure people have tried. Cats are not as trainable as dogs. Like there's attack dogs. Of course, police dogs and stuff like that, but there are no police tigers. No, they're not because cats are not tame or not, they're not uh, domesticated. They're tame. (laughs) And right. (laughs) Sorry. Keep going. What? I was just going to say, I, I, I said there are no police tigers in all seriousness. And of course that's ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Because you can't train a tiger like you can a dog or a wolf. I guess you could, could you train a wolf? Probably. I don't know. I don't know. They're breeding wolves, eh? They're, uh, there's a, a group of people in Russia that are breeding wolves to be friendly like dogs. And they're also breeding wolves to be extremely vicious. They're like doing this weird kind of breeding thing. That sounds like a terrible idea. Well, of course it is. But dogs are, you know, they're versions of wolves that have been uh, domesticated over hundreds of years. I'm right? sure genetically dogs and wolves aren't that different. I don't know what I'm saying. Like maybe they are, but I think, yes, over thousands of years, they've become pretty different animals when it comes to domestication. Yeah. Anyway, no, I don't think you could train a tiger to, uh, you know, help you find criminals, for example, or to attack things. I think they're, they're more of a, you know, if you have a tiger and the idea behind the tiger is to protect you against other things, the whole idea is to let the tiger do its thing while you're not around and who you want protection from, they are around. Yeah, I guess so. Can you imagine how quickly you'd fill your pants if you were a criminal running away and suddenly a cop with a trained tiger showed up and, and let it loose on you? Well, I would probably fill my pants if that happened to me with a dog. Yeah, I guess so. That's I've that's been true. bitten by a dog before where it's broken the skin. It is not a fun, uh, pleasant thing. It was a junkyard dog. Wow. Like an actual dog that lived at a junkyard came up and bit me. I was like four or something like that. So you have some uh, junkyard dog experience too, some junkyard experience. I was terrified of dogs for a long time after that. Yeah. I wouldn't have survived the same experience if it were a junkyard tiger. No, you would not have. I'm just saying, I would be pretty freaked out if the police showed up with a tiger and I was their target. I saw some police take down a guy with a dog one time. I was riding my bike home from work and, uh, there was, I I go through a sketchy neighborhood on the way, to be fair. I've seen some pretty crazy things. One of the things I saw was two cops, guns drawn and a dog and a guy on the ground with the dog, uh, biting the guy or doing what the dog does to, uh, subdue the guy. So pretty crazy. So either way, yeah, dog, tiger, pretty scary. So... Daryl says, back to the episode, Daryl says to Morgan that he did find Carol and, you know, Morgan explains that he was just doing what she wanted by not telling Daryl where she is. And Daryl says he gets it, but he asks Morgan to convince the kingdom to join and Morgan says he can't do that. So, um, Daryl says he's going back to the hilltop in the morning to start getting ready and uh, we cut to the morning, it's daylight, and that's basically exactly what he does. Uh, Daryl is walking outside the gate. Morgan and Richard watch 
from different vantage points, gate closes, episode ends, the end. Um, so there, so there you go. Another slightly long episode, but, um, I really, really enjoyed this one. It was good. This was a great episode. I liked, I like what they've got going on the, going on, on the show right now, Jason. I realized here that they are for the first time in a while, kind of juxtaposing extreme danger, like the Rick stuff and the zombie stuff that he had to fight there. But then they're putting that up against a little bit lighter moments like the cat thing. So Rick is in all this danger. He gets hurt. He comes out alive. And instead of it being all just depressing and morose or whatever, we get the cat moment and we get some happiness because they struck this deal and so on. And I feel like we haven't had that balance for a while on the show. Yeah. I mean, sure. He got a spike through the hand and uh, cut up his leg when he was kicking a zombie with spikes in it. But, uh, you know, he came out of that whole situation happy. Ultimately, it was a good thing. Yeah. And, you know, it just feels like that our characters have a bit of hope now and that they are doing something and it's leading towards something. And I just haven't felt that in a while on the show, certainly in the first half of season seven. And I guess this is what they were going for. They wanted us to feel that way so that when these good things did start happening, we'd really pick up on them. And yeah. I guess it worked. I don't know, but I'm feeling really good about it. Um, the other thing is we should talk about Daryl a little bit. This episode did a ton for me to redeem Daryl's character. You think so? Well, if it did a lot, I don't think it's com completely there, but these were the, uh, the first steps for sure. I felt like he's he's finally doing things and saying things that I want him to st to say instead of being Mr. like one-liner background support for the other characters, you know, which is yeah. what we got one episode ago. And now here he is. We just get a little more time with him. He's he's reconnected with Carol. I feel like what he's doing matters all of a sudden. And I like that. I like having Daryl back. It is good to have Daryl back. You know? He's so, got a crossbow again. Maybe that's it. That's his whole uh that's his whole thing. He's got a different crossbow. It doesn't have his crossbow, which I'm a little sad about. I was hoping that he would get his crossbow back instead of another crossbow. Sure, but we know where his crossbow is and I think it's still coming. You think he's gonna have two crossbows? No. Cross, I think cross, he'll cross by. <laughs> cross by. <laughs> uh I think he'll uh I think he'll use this one for a while. And when his original one shows up again, he will trade this model in for the old one. You think you think he's going to have a crossbow fight? Uh, no, I think he's going to hand this one to somebody else and pick up the the original one and be good to go. Yeah. So that's it. Well, what's his name has his crossbow, right? Dwight. Dwight has his crossbow. So you think that uh, Daryl and Dwight are going to have a crossbow fight? Oh, the Daryl Dwight crossbow fight. Daryl Daryl and Dwight's crossbow fight. <laughs> I now that it rhymes so well, I kind of hope so. Yeah, I predict the crossbow fight. Yeah, okay, maybe. All I'm saying is this episode did a lot with Daryl and it and it worked. They did it they did it really well. Back in season 6 when Daryl had his burned out forest episode where he first met Dwight and everybody, yeah. I didn't love those episodes for some reason, but here this was not overdone. Daryl was important to the story and I just feel like he's going to be a big part of everything that happens over the next few episodes or towards as we get towards the end of the season so it's good i liked it 
Dwight's going to shoot the crossbow bolt at Daryl, and Daryl's going to shoot his crossbow bolt at Dwight, and it's going to shoot Dwight's crossbow bolt out of the sky. Right in the middle? Awesome. Yeah. Right in the middle. (laughs) I hope not, but maybe. You never know. It's going to be awesome. Uh, What else about this episode? The whole thing felt really balanced well to me. You know, a really nice job of showing us what Rick was doing at the junkyard with the scavengers and what was happening at the kingdom. You know, nicely balanced episode. It wasn't all about one group. Um, Can you imagine if this was all Rick at the junkyard? I would have felt like, oh, there's too much of this and not enough of everything else, but they did a nice job just giving equal time to both of these stories. True. And I think that's that's a really good thing. Um, and I just I sort of can't shake the feeling that if if they had gone one or the other, it just it just wouldn't have felt right, you know? So whether this is a this is like a storytelling choice they've made here, right? We're gonna tell parts, we're gonna tell all these stories intertwined or at least in parts until they intertwine a little bit more rather than doing one and then doing the other and keeping them separate. So it's just, yeah. it's just good. I think they're, they're doing a better job so far. Um, I know it's only been two episodes and the first one I didn't love, but so far better job in the back half of season seven than in the, uh, in the first half. I did. I did enjoy it. I, I think it is a little more lighthearted. I think that even though they're going through, uh, a lot of trials and tribulations and challenges that uh, they're happy about it rather than, you know, being upset about it like they were with the governor. <laughs> That's right. They're, it's hard times, but they're feeling good about it instead of feeling depressed about it. Yeah, because when you when you overcome a challenge, you feel good and you get that, uh, that endorphin rush. And it's like, well, okay, I got through that and I'm better off for it. And I've got my friends and uh, nobody died except for the zombie. I mean, sure, these people talk weird, but I can get over that. Yes, yes. And a lot of people were, I don't know, put, taken aback by, by the way they speak, but I didn't. it didn't really bother me that much the way the scavengers spoke. I don't know why. I just think they're a weird group that have done things a little differently than everybody else, and this is just the way they are. Yeah, and they all had weird haircuts, too. I don't know what's going on with these people. (laughs) Well, Jason, you can probably take some comfort in the fact that probably most of them are going to die in the ultimate giant battle with the saviors, Uh, and uh, that'll be that. So you won't have to listen to them talk or look at their weird haircuts for anymore. You're right, Chris. That does make me feel better. (laughs) I knew it would. All right, so there you go. That is Season 7, Episode 10. We are going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll read your holy crap moments. Stay with us. I want to blame it on the night. I want to blame it on the lack of light. I want to blame it on geography. When they're trying out phrenology on me.
This episode is brought to you by Gato Negro, the perfect wine pairing for your favorite TV show, including The Walking Dead. What could be better than enjoying a nice glass of wine while you watch Rick get closer to taking down Negan? Follow Gato Negro on Instagram, username Gato Negro Wine, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Gato Negro Wine. Sip the terror of your favorite TV series with Gato Negro Wines. Gato Negro, adored everywhere. Quite contrary to the scenario painted by homicide. This heart still beats, his lungs breathing, yes I could see fine. They could have sent me to the morgue to sleep As they fled into the night Holy crap! Did you see that? Holy crap, did you see that? So this is the portion of the show where we uh, read sort of quick little comments from people who wanted to write in or call in and let us know what moments in the episode just made them jump up off their couch, they're out of their easy chair, or uh, the some kind of weird exercise ball that they sit on while they watch the show and scream, holy crap, did you just see that? They could have jumped off their weight bench. They could have jumped up off the pew. I don't know if they're watching it in church and they shouldn't be. Uh, you know, it could be anything. It, 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 it People sit on all kinds of different things to watch TV, so. Uh, I know I do. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Well, our first email here comes from our friend Podkist Ken from somewhere in your mind, he said. Oh my. Yeah, that's crazy. He writes, holy crap, where is baby Judith? The last time we saw her, Uncle Negan was caring for our sweet bundle of joy. I understand that Rick and the gang are at war, but where is the baby? Well, Father Gabriel's not watching her. Well, we you know that. You said earlier that he, you know, he was watching her and the baby survived. So that's, that's right. It's a good thing. <laughs> that's a good thing. Presumably she's around somewhere. I guess there, I guess we just have to believe that there are random Alexandrians, maybe Tobin, maybe Tobin's looking after her right now. It could be anybody. There's people that are not here, so I think we're okay. Yeah, there are people. They keep saying we have people to feed and things like that. So one of those people, I guess, is Judith and whoever's looking yeah. after her. Well, that's what Jenny and I would do with Jasper when we want to go out for coffee or go get brunch or whatever. We just walk out of the house and go, somebody will take care of the baby, right? <laughs> someone's, someone will, <laughs> you know, someone's going to, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I bet you somebody's going to come by and take care of that kid while we're getting lunch. All right, um... Jason is kidding, of course, everybody. <laughs> Please don't call anyone. I don't think we've ever left Jesper with anybody while we both were uh, not around. He's always been in uh, the presence of one of one or both of us since the moment he was born. Yep. Actually, before then, really, even. Yeah, for the nine months before the moment he was born, <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, no, you're right. It takes a while for people to work up to that sort of thing, uh, but you'll get there. You'll get there. I've offered to w watch him already, but you'd had none of it. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> well, it's, somebody, it's the mom. <laughs> somebody would have none of it. Yeah. Uh, but that day will come. That day will come when you guys are like, you know what? We want to go out and see the new Star Wars movie. So we're going to have to leave someone here watching the baby while we do that. Yeah, somebody will do it. Okay. 
Hopefully you'll plan ahead. Uh, Chris in Toronto writes, holy crap. I've never come to love a character I've previously hated so much before. Gabriel has really become a new person. You never would have guessed that a sniveling coward like him has become so brave and loyal. What, what do you think about that, Jason? Is, is Father Gabe really stepped up that much here? Or did he just, well, as you said, he's the worst at everything, but he just got himself kidnapped and happened to lead everyone to the scavengers. He's very lucky. Right. Because he happened to get kidnapped. He didn't, you know, he didn't mean to get kidnapped. It's probably some kind of accident and uh, due to a high level of incompetence. But uh, it all worked out in the end. And he's very happy that uh, somebody came after him instead of just going, geez, that guy really doesn't know what he's doing. So we'll just let him go. (laughs) I guess, yeah. He is kind of lucky, but I think he tries hard. Like, I genuinely think he is on Rick's side now. You know, he's not doing... He's not doing anything actively against Rick or even passively against their their ultimate goals here, but it does feel like he just kind of stumbles ass backwards into some of this stuff, you know? Yeah, so does. I don't know, but I do agree with Chris in Toronto a little bit that I'm much more okay with Father Gabe now than I was a long time ago when he was just a coward, sniveling little coward guy. Right. So there you go. All right, here comes a call from Anwen in New Zealand. See that? The leader of the new group is like a, the ultimate sci-fi fantasy mashup. She's got a hairstyle of a Vulcan. She lives in a trash heap, like in Labyrinth. She's got a name. She's named after the Queen of Narnia, and she's got a pet that's a cross between the mouth of Sauron and a berserker orc. She's awesome. <laughs> I totally love her, and she's also got a smile to match uh, Rick Grimes's um, world-weary apocalypse smile. I think she's great and I can't wait to see where it goes. Thank you, Anwen. So that that that's it. This was something was bothering me, tickling the back of my head, going, Where have I seen that zombie before? It's the mouth of Sauron. He's got a helmet. The mouth of Sauron has this big, huge mouth, and he comes out of the black gates and starts talking, and he has a helmet on that's completely covering his eyes because he doesn't need eyes because Sauron has the big goddamn eye, which (laughs) sees everything this guy needs. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, And, okay, and so Jadis also, what does she say? Oh, a Vulcan haircut. Oh, yeah, very Vulcan haircut. Lives in a junk pile, like from... Labyrinth. Labyrinth. And... Her name is the same name as the White Queen in Narnia. Nice. Which I didn't pick up on while watching it, but it's absolutely true. And that's funny because I've read some of those books kind of recently to the kids. Uh, So, yeah. So she's just a big mashup of all these other characters, which is cool. And I'm okay with that. I think it's awesome. That is awesome. So there you go. Thank you, Anwen. Michael in London writes, holy shark jumping crap. Oh, how ironic that the tons and tons of garbage that surrounded our heroes summed up this episode. Absolute (laughs) rubbish. (laughs) So not everyone liked this episode. No, I guess not. And uh, obviously Michael in London is one of them. And I I have a feeling we'll get into that a little bit more on our feedback show later this week because we can dive into some of the more uh, uh, dive into some of the criticisms a little bit more of it. Um. But 
Paul, also in England, wrote in and said, the whole garbage people section this week had me not so much asking, holy crap, did you see that? But rather, holy crap, did I just see that? I mean, what the actual fuck? <laughs> yeah. So. No, if you're going to hide someplace, uh, there, there's two really good ideas. Hide inside a garbage heap, because nobody's going to want to go through a garbage heap because that's garbage. Except that know? in the zombie apocalypse, there could be all kinds of usable stuff that you could scavenge from a garbage yeah, there's also lots of all kinds of stuff you can scavenge from a mall, right? Well, okay, but you're going to go to the mall first, maybe, but when you've exhausted all the malls and whatever, you might not, go to the dump. Not possible. There's so many malls and outlet malls and, you know, Walmarts and big stops and so many places to go. There I mean, are. Most of humanity's dead. You know, all the stuff that the, all of that humanity was going to consume is now available for you to go and pick up, like... You know, you're going to go to Walmart. How many toaster ovens do you think are left? Probably lots, because not everybody's going to go, you know what? I need another toaster oven. <laughs> yeah. And and a toaster oven isn't all that useful, probably. But I see what you're saying. There's going to be a lot of stuff if suddenly the population is 99% wiped out. Right. So you go to the the, uh, the garbage dump or the, tra or the recycling whatever, you know, are you going to find... Uh, an old bed frame or a bunch of, you know, boards with nails in it from, you know, construction waste and uh, a whole bunch of recycled bags and go, yeah, that's useful stuff. Are you going to go to the mall and say, you know what, I'm going to take that bed, that chair, uh, that bookshelf, because why not? And look, a whole bunch of clocks. They all have batteries. I'm going to take them because, you know, I want to build the, the, the first set from Back to the Future with all the clocks. <laughs> and look. A whole bunch of clocks. I don't know where you come up with this shit sometimes. <laughs> There's a the place in the mall that sells clocks. I was thinking about it. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if you told me you were thinking about actually buying a whole bunch of clocks for some reason. You need a clock in every room. For recreating the, uh, the first scene from Back to the Future. Yeah, you also need plutonium though, so... No, no, just a case. Just You're a right. case of plutonium, like the underneath the, uh, like there was a case of plutonium under the bed, under in the uh, in the first scene. But the only real hard part of that whole scene uh, is that giant speaker. Like, where do you get a giant speaker like that? Well, you get to work on that. Let us know how it goes. Yeah, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay, uh, Angie in Birmingham writes: Holy crap! For the first time ever, I loved it when they went off book. I loved the Thunderdome. The whole storyline was brilliant. I'm intrigued. There was great chemistry there, and they nailed it. As for Winslow, best walker ever. I so agree. Look at Angie. She was awesome. She was, she was totally into it. So You uh, don't normally get uh, a zombie boss. I mean, sure, the teabag zombie, and there was a couple of zombies, you know, feature zombies that were pretty gross and pretty cool, but uh, damn it. That was an awesome zombie. I really like. I really like the the spike zombie monster boss. Well, your timing is impeccable, Jason. Sean on the internet writes in, "Holy crap, is that a boss level zombie?" Yes, it is. This is the very next one right here. And it's funny because I don't usually even send these notes to you, but somehow you can just sort of predict <laughs> what's about to happen. So yes, it was a boss level zombie. That was a boss fight for Rick, and he survived. He did by dropping trash on it. Why not? Hey, you got to do what you got to do. To be hey, fair. Every boss has a weakness. Yes, that's right. Uh, that was Michonne's idea too. Michonne was able to speak to him through some pipes, right? Through the garbage. And she said, use the trash walls. So good thing she was there. It could have been use the force, Luke. Would have been just the same. Would have been exactly the same. Yeah. 
Reach out with your feelings, Rick. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. What a stupid thing. Like if somebody said to me, like all powerful Obi-Wan Kenobi, old man in the desert, fine. My parents are dead, fine. Or my uncle and my aunt are dead, fine. I get on a ship and I'm flying through the universe and someone says, reach out with your feelings. I'm going to look at them like they're a friggin' idiot because they're a goddamn idiot for telling me to reach out with my feelings. What the hell, Obi-Wan? Stop bad mouthing Star Wars. <laughs> now I'm gonna quit the podcast. <laughs> uh, James in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania writes, "Holy crap! Has everyone forgotten how to speak? I will buy the charade of the kingdom and the push toward theatrical language, but the scavengers have no excuse. Unless the purpose of their group is to be annoying or quirky in the face of the zombie apocalypse, I am already over the broken English being uttered." Yeah, I think you need to watch Beyond Thunderdome, Rick, uh, Chris. Because uh, there's me? a whole thing where these bunch of kids off in the desert uh, are talking are talking weird, and they just talk weird because they're in the the, the apocalypse and apparently forget how language is used. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I need to watch it, and maybe yes. so does James. Maybe. Uh, we don't yeah, know. The, I, I kind of agree that the talking was a little bit odd. Like... Why would a whole, maybe we should, maybe it's just her. She's the only one to talk, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Maybe, maybe she's the only one that's weird and everybody else is like, oh, I can't believe she's talking like that again. Like, why, why do you talk like that to people? Do you make everybody look like they're morons? Well, here's our next, uh, <laughs> once again, Jason, this is unbelievable. Here's our next email from Bedell on the internet. Holy crap. Jadis talk like moron. Junk people talk like moron. Why people talk so dumb after zombie big problem? Seriously, can you guys do an episode where you talk like those guys? I wish I could. I can't do it real time. I might be able to script something, but... (laughs) Well, I got an idea. Somebody, record your favorite scene. Use a Jadis scene. That might be fun. I'm just saying. So there you go. Uh, But Jadis talk like moron. Junk people talk like moron. Jason, predict future... Holy crap moments. Yes. Somehow. Adam in Texas. Sorry. (laughs) Calling me a moron now? (laughs) No, just saying the word. Please, let's move on. Adam in Texas uh, writes, holy crap, did you see that green screen when Rick was on the up-up? Wow, that looked like shit. I get that they wanted to create an epic set piece, something massive where the garbage pail kids live, but that really looked like a steaming mess of bad green screening. It did. It was terrible. It was an. It was a really bad visual effect. I thought of it while I was watching, and I didn't want to mention it during the uh, recap, mostly because you actually started going on about all the cool stuff in there. But it was a pretty bad green screen effect. Yes, the content was cool. The effect was bad. I agree with that. Yeah. So I don't know why they couldn't get that a little bit better. It seems like that wouldn't be the hardest thing in the world to do well, but... I don't know. Maybe they just put the money into something else in this one. They put all the money into Winslow instead of the green screen. They did a good job. They Smart did. move. All right. Can you imagine having really good green screen and then Winslow looked like shit? You're right. That would have been worse. It would have been worse. Yeah. You know, you know, it just came to mind, like, what if you look like Mugatu? You know, like what if what if they just did that? Yep, not good. Very bad idea. <laughs> yeah, very bad idea. <laughs> All right, next one here is uh, hmm, Venetia in Melbourne, Australia. V e n e t i a. I think that's Venetia. Venetia. Yeah. All right. 
My holy crap is that all those scavengers are so tall, long, and lanky. It's like they stole the cast from a failed sci-fi show. I'm not sure exactly what that means. Well, it stole the cast from a successful sci-fi show because there was some really tall people in Star Trek. Okay, well, they, they have some Star Trek hairstyles and they're tall and skinny. Yes. So there you go. Uh, Jack in rainy England writes, holy crap, did you see how long it took the rubbish folk to assemble into two circles around Rick's gang? They all came from inside the same storage container, and yet they wandered around for ages while they found some form of order. Yep. It was just it, like a Broadway musical. It was weird. Just <laughs> like a group of cats. Yeah. Um, Noop J on the internet writes, holy crap, that's going to get infected. Rick slapping <laughs> pinhead which is a good name for that zombie, Pinhead. It's also a very, uh, that's from what that movie, what's that movie? Pinhead. No, there's a movie. I'm going to look it up. Okay, well, I'll continue. There's no way he doesn't need some Neosporin. We've got seven, or we've gone seven years without open wounds ever being susceptible to Walker blood and getting infected. I really, really hope they don't decide to slip that in as a possible infection point now because it's been pretty darn, pretty damn obvious that so far it is not a way to get infected. And they're not going to. I don't think they're going to. It's just, it's just Rick having an injury that he's going to have to deal with now. Yeah, it was, you know, when you're going to put spikes on a zombie inside a junkyard, you make sure you sterilize those spikes first so that in case anybody gets stuck with them, that everything is fine. Yeah, well, even if you don't, I don't think it's going to come up. I think it's just Rick being injured and he's going to be not quite as good with his hand for a little while. Yeah, Pinhead was the uh, the guy from Hellraiser. Hellraiser. All all the pins in his head, yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. Well, if, if Winslow didn't already have a name, we could probably call him Pinhead. Right. But he he does have a name. So Damien in Virginia writes, uh, hey, Chris and Jason, my holy crap for this week is once again, they tease us about Rick's hand. So speaking of Rick's hand, you know, this is a thing. And I'm going to drop a spoiler for the comic here right now that happened more than 10 years ago, probably at this point in the comic. Um, Rick loses his hand in the comic. He did not lose his hand in the TV show, but there is a, over the years in the show, there has been, you know, a fair bit of hand stuff, right? Rick yeah. getting his hand injured, cut up here. It's stabbed through. And even when he was climbing out of the pit back up to Jadis, there was a long or a, or a very deliberate shot of Rick's hand on the garbage as he's pushing, pushing himself up. So, um, they do like to tease us with Rick's hands a little bit, I think. I think so too. Um, okay. Brad on the Gold Coast of Australia writes, holy crap. Did you see Rick attack the junkyard walker with a keyboard? He is the ultimate <laughs> keyboard warrior. <laughs> yeah, he found a weapon. I was happy with the weapon. You know, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that. That's not going to just shatter into a million pieces. <laughs> he could have thrown the F and the U at the, at pinhead. <laughs> F you pinhead. <laughs> Take that. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Um, All right. Matt in Delaware writes, my holy crap moment is, did you see that Rick actually cut off the head of the blowfish walker? Winslow, but AMC didn't show it. Bastards. Yeah. It is funny. I guess they didn't feel they needed to right after the whole fight scene. Uh, But blowfish walker, is that just because he's got all, like a blowfish has all the spikes? Spikes pointing out. Yeah, they got little spiky things, yeah. Yeah. There you That's go. Good too. Plenty of good names for this guy. 
Sally on the internet writes, holy crap, I think Jerry might be an idiot. He's way too perfect an example of ignorance being bliss. He's just so happy, silly, goofy all the damn time. So Jerry is Ezekiel's right-hand man. Yep, guy with the axe. Uh, Guy with the axe? Yeah, he has an axe. He has a battle axe. Okay, yeah. He, But he always has, he, he drops in funny lines, things like that, you know. I like Jerry. I... You know, if I, I was the Jerry. leader of a kingdom and in that kingdom there was a guy like Jerry, I'd have Jerry follow me around. And and just, you know, that's right. And just sort of back up everything I say. Yeah. Just be Jerry. Be Jerry all the time. Just, you know, <laughs> do your thing, Jerry. Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, be you. That's right. So Quick. he may be an idiot and he may be a little bit blissfully ignorant, but I enjoy his goofiness. He's a cross between uh, a dwarf, like a uh, a D and D dwarf, because he's got a battle axe, he's got a beard, he's kind of a big guy, and a court jester. Exactly. That's he's he's equal parts court jester and and dwarf. Yeah, <laughs> battle dwarf. That's good. Battle dwarf. That's good. All right. Kay in Florida writes, "Holy crap! Did you see that Carol absolutely knew that Daryl was lying?" when he said that everyone back at home is okay after meeting with the saviors. He's her best friend, and she can read him like a book, but props to him for trying to protect her from this whole mess. She knows something terrible has happened. It's only a matter of time until she makes sure the saviors pay for it and brings the kingdom along for the ride. Mm. You think she think she knew she, he was lying? No, I don't think so, but I do think it's an interesting theory, or um, at the very least, I do think that this is where it's going to go. Carol's going to find out the truth, and then that'll get her on her horse to, you know, probably bring the kingdom along. It'll be one of the things that convinces Ezekiel to join, uh, but it will also be, she'll also be a great asset to have, you know, in the, in Rick's army. It's true. Yeah, as long as, uh, especially if she has a, you know, a 5,000 gallon propane tank that she can strategically place someplace and an assault rifle. And, or if the entire uh, group of the saviors all of a sudden is made up of uh, little girls. That's right. <laughs> she, those are the two things she can do best. So, uh, yeah, I, but I don't think she knows in that moment he was lying. I didn't get that feeling anyways. You know, she seemed to feel better when she heard everyone was okay. And then they sat down to eat and they were laughing a little bit and smiling. So unless she was just putting it on, but I'm not so sure she knows yet. I do think she will find out. That's where this is going. Of course. Go. Yeah. Okay. One more here. We go right back to the beginning. Gemma in South Wales, UK says, my holy crap uh, was right at the beginning, just before the opening credits. Richard gave Daryl a crossbow and the shot of him holding it towards the camera was epic i was like daryl dixon is back <laughs> and he was awesome. that was a superhero shot of daryl dixon and he looked amazing yes absolutely he really did all right thanks so much everyone for sending in your holy craps and thank you to everyone for listening to this episode of the podcast so great episode in my opinion and uh not just the podcast <laughs> but of the walking dead as well um, I think, you know, the second half of season seven is taking a turn for the good, for the better, or in the right direction here, you know? So I hope they can keep it up. 
and that's going to do it. So if you'd like to get in touch with us, everyone, of course, you can do so by uh, going to our website, TalkingDeadPodcast.com, and clicking on Send Voicemail to send us a message. And you can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheTalkingDead, where I post every episode, but also occasionally post news news items about the show and stuff like that. Lots of lots of people hanging out over there and just chatting about the show. Um, or if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find us at Talking Dead on Twitter. And of course, email email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Um, it would be great if you left us an iTunes review. That would be wonderful. Uh, it's a good way to help uh, iTunes keep an eye on us and move up the charts and stuff like that and help more people discover the show. And uh, if you want to use our Amazon links when you're shopping at Amazon, visit talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon for, uh, for, the, for those. You can click on the store country of your choice. And of course, please don't forget that this episode is brought to you by Gato Negro Wines. You can find them on Instagram username Gato Negro Wine or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Gato Negro Wine. We thank them greatly for their support of the podcast. Anything else, Jason, before we call it a night? I don't believe so, Christopher. All right. Well, um, I know you're going to have wonderful Mad Max related dreams this evening while you think about Winslow and everything he symbolizes. So until next time, everyone, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.